Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. The Lord will help me tonight. I want to talk about something that's been in my heart. Um, you know, I, I dabble in leadership quite a bit. Not that I'm the greatest leader at all. But you've got to start where you are. And if you will dive into the word of the Lord and allow God to blossom things in your life, you will usually begin to radiate and overflow in the area that you are strong in. Whether it is art, whether it is business, whether it is singing, if you stay focused and whatever's in you, that is, you just like it so much that you feel like you're going to explode. If you will dive into that, though the Lord will release uh, future things to you and you will, uh, you will sharpen your skill. You will, and, you know, in music, they would say that if someone is really good at playing an instrument, that they're a virtuoso, that they are, I mean, they, they're the cat's meow. They, they have honed their skill. And um, how many know that every violinist didn't start out as a virtuoso? flute players, clarinet, saxophones, and your children would be in their room and you'd be like, God, help me. That was, you know, for many of us, that was before the days where you could put earbuds in. You just had to, Lord, teach, if you want them to learn, teach them something else, God. <laughs> but the road to your destiny and your purpose is filled with hurdles things that you have to learn to mount up over. In order to get to your destiny, it's never going to be easy. So the night tonight, this is the thought that I want you to jot down, that you weren't wired for easy. You know, I think it was uh, uh, Lionel Richie that said, easy like Sunday morning. Was Am I right for all of you secular people? You weren't wired for easy. And I'm going to break this down, and I'm going to give you several things tonight. Are you ready to go? The Lord began to give me jots and things, and I began to jot these down in my journal, and somehow they turned into a message. And so I want to come to you tonight, not only in a pastoral sense, in a teaching sense, but as a coach, if I can, in leadership to help you get to your destiny, because everybody in this room is called of God. Everybody's called of God. Look at somebody and affirm them right there. Say, you are called of God. So the first point that I want you to write down is that he called you. And it wasn't to get to this place so he could drop you on your face. God called you. And he didn't call you just to name you and then you get so far along the, the way and then he drops you and says, well, you didn't quite measure up. No, that's not how God works. In fact, the scripture that I want to attach to this is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And it's Paul's encouragement to those that are called of God. And he said, and being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. That ought to make somebody shout because if God called you, that it's not over till God says that it's over. He is faithful to complete it. He's faithful to bring it all the way across the finish line. It's not, God's not going to call you and then say, well, you messed up, I'm done with you, and kick you to the curb, throw you to the ash heap, and let you know, people just pounce on you. That's not how God works. God is the lifter of your head, and he is your help in the time of need. And anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So my question that I get a lot from people in counseling, and, I, and I'm presently pa uh, coaching pastors around the country, and one of the questions that I get in leadership a lot is this, what does God want me to do with my life? I've had a lot of people ask me that question, what does God want me to do with my life? And I think that's a fair question because I think that when we come out of the womb and we start journeying and tracking with God, especially once we have had that conversion in Christ and we're enlightened now, illuminated in our faith, we begin to search deeper. And we know that our call and our lot in life is more than just to make a paycheck on Friday and to pay our bills the rest of our life. Our call is to do something of purpose, something of meaning. So it's a fair question when, when we're asked that, and there are so many people on this planet alone who have settled for what they can do rather than what they're called to do. It's easier just to do what you can do rather than what you're called to do. What you're called to do may require you to get education. What you're called to do may require you to pay a price. I remember years ago, we had a young lady in our church who was in our youth program, and she had told everybody and stood up and announced her calling that she was going to be a missionary. And then she proceeded to say that, you know, she felt like the Lord was going to come real soon, so she wasn't going to go to school or college or nothing because she was going to get busy for the Lord. And uh, I said to her, uh, sis, don't you think that maybe you need to learn the language of the country you're going to? Wouldn't that help you? Wouldn't it be advantageous to you to be able to negotiate property and deals with kings and government officials with favor behind you by having gotten an edumacation? Come on. Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it benefit you? And she's like, well, you know, the Lord's going to fill my mouth. Well, I thought it was interesting. We, we'd go to youth camp, and she'd be complaining because the bunk was too hard and the food wasn't no good. And I said, to her, I thought she was called to be a missionary. She wasn't nothing but spoiled is what she was. She liked the thought of announcing her calling, but didn't know the price that goes with that call. Because mm. when you are called to something, it's more than what you can do. See, a lot of people have settled into what they can do because their gift gets them so far. Their talent carries them so far. But when you're called to do something for God, it requires something more of you. It requires hours. It requires preparation. It requires being able to set your face to the Lord and not look and worry about what people think about you. But how do you know? How do you know that calling? How do you know that God has called you? 
How do you know that there's a stirring in the bush? <laughs> How do you know that the mulberry bush is being shaken in your life? That's a great question. Years ago, God gave us a pastor who was by the name of Brother Penny, and I have a picture of him. He was our visitation here. And this was, I believe, his 50th wedding anniversary at the old church. We had a service for them, but Brother and Sister Penny, and that was, uh, the, I got to re, uh, remarry them. Uh, no, I was his best man. That's it. And Pastor Bev was the uh, matron of honor. And, and it was beautiful. And to be able to stand there with Brother Penny. Brother Penny told me of the journey that he went through to discover his calling. He told us that he was born in the hills of North Carolina and his daddy was a circuit rider preacher. And he would just go from town to town and state to state and preach. And there'd be, you know, uh, a long time before sometimes that he would come home. And he'd stay out on the road preaching and working and uh, send money back to his family. And of course, they had about uh, 15 children in the family. And Brother Penny was part of the small, the youngest part of that group. And he said that that's how he was raised. And somehow after he came to the Navy and he made his way to Indiana, uh, because one of his buddies on the ship had a sister by the name of Margaret, and he ended up finding, uh, coming up to visit his buddy and ended up falling in love with Margaret and they got married and had three, three boys themselves. But Brother Penny used to tell how he sensed early in his life the call of God that was upon him. This man right here helped us so much in this church. I can't even tell you how much he was a blessing, and I miss him terribly. First staff member that I've ever had to preach their funeral for. He told me how he gave his life to Christ, and he had gotten saved at a Baptist church here in town, I think it was Indianapolis Baptist Temple. And the Holy Ghost began to do something. He started attending prayer meeting, and the Spirit of the Lord just began to stir in his heart. And he told me that he felt the call of God. He didn't recognize exactly what the calling was, but he knew that he felt a calling from the Lord, an urgency, a desire, a pushing, a pressing, a wooing. And, and so he went to his pastor, and he expressed his desire to his pastor for to you know to be in ministry, whatever that looked like. And the pastor recognized that there was a distinction there, so he put him on a bus route. And at that time, that church was running buses all across the city of Indianapolis. Uh, this date back some years. And Brother Penny began to ride the bus and drive the bus, and he began to shepherd souls. It wasn't just a bus route, it was a church. He was shepherding the families and the people that were on that bus route. And he did that for about a year. And then he went back to his pastor and he said, you know, I still have this desire. I don't know what it is. And well, the pastor, recognizing the anointing and the leading of God, said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue the bus route. And now I want you to teach the junior boys Sunday school class. Most people don't want to teach the junior boys Sunday school class because that's a rowdy bunch. How many know what I'm talking about? But Brother Penny accepted the challenge because it wasn't just what he can do. It was what he was called to do. 
he began to teach those junior boys and shape them and mold them and pour into them. Another year went by, as about the third year, he went to his pastor again and expressed his desire for ministry. And the pastor said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to run the bus route. I want you to continue to teach the junior boys. And now I want you to start going to the nursing homes once a week as well. You know, when people say they want to do anything for the Lord and they want to do ministry and then you present ministry to them, you find out real quick. If there's not a microphone involved. So eventually, Brother Penny would do the bus route. He would do the junior boys. He would do the nursing home. And then he would be moved into a role of eldership in the church. And he would then move into a role of pastoring. He took all of his experience, because at that time he was working at General Motors and he worked there until he retired, and he began to start a Bible study at General Motors on top of teaching the junior boys, driving the bus, going to the nursing homes. Come on, somebody. Then he started a Bible study at work where the rubber meets the road, and he got so much favor at General Motors that they opened up an entire room for him and allowed him on his lunch break to be able to teach the Word of God. Up until another group of people of a different denominational persuasion got jealous and then General Motors had to shut it all down because that's what pride does. But he took all of that with him, pastored for 13 years in the city of Indianapolis, led hundreds and people to Jesus Christ, came, uh, many people came to know the Lord. And by the time that he and Sister Penny came to Bethel Family Worship Center, he held our hands up until God called him home. I say that to tell you that there is a sacrifice involved in your calling. It's not just... I get a call of God today and then I run out and do it. I have to be nurtured, trained, seasoned as I'm doing it. Mentored and coached as I go. Whatever God has put inside of you, eventually it's going to have to come out. Eventually it's going to work its way out. When God called me, I just started serving wherever I could. I wasn't selective I was collaborative. If they needed me in the, in the junior ministry, I was in the junior ministry. I remember on Tuesday nights, we ran uh, buses in inner city Akron out to our church, and our church would be full of children and a group of teenagers who we'd call them CSIs today here in our local church. We would be doing puppet ministry, we would be feeding the kids. We'd be yelling at the kids. We'd be having a great time. We'd have a treasure chest at the end where kids could get a prize. I mean, it was just, and I remember all those nights of practicing and my arm would be so sore trying to play that puppet. <laughs> and use the little hanger for their hands and make them shout and dance because we were Pentecostal people. Come on, somebody. So our, our puppets were baptized in the Holy Ghost. But wherever I was needed, that's where I served. I wasn't 
I wasn't selective. I didn't say, well, I, I, that's not for me. I, I did whatever was needed. I mowed the lawn. I cleaned the toilets. I ran ministry. I ran the sound. I, I did music. I, I did anything that, that was needed in the house. I wasn't selective. I was collaborative. I knew somehow in my heart, without knowing, I still knew that God was going to use me somewhere in my life. What has God put inside of you? The Bible teaches us in Jeremiah chapter 20 that he said, the prophet, I would not make mention of the Lord's name or speak any more of him, but his word was in me like a fire and it was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it in. Indeed, I could not. That's what Jeremiah was saying. My calling was trying to get out of my skin. My, I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up and probably had seasons where I went on hiatus. But God's word was in me like a fire. I could not be satisfied until I obeyed, not selectively, but where I was needed collaboratively. Three questions that I want to ask you tonight. What is it in this life that you absolutely enjoy? What is it that you happen to do very well? What is it that breaks your heart? And the reason I ask you these three questions because this is where you begin to discover what God has created you for. Now, you're, it's important that you're journaling tonight and taking notes because you need to leave here with substance, not just with a shout and a hallelujah. You need to have something that you can land upon when you walk into your place of employment tomorrow. I say all of this because I want you to understand God called you. God called you, and he's not going to drop you on your face halfway through. He's going to see it to completion in your life. Here's the second thing that I want you to write down. He did not necessarily promise to deliver you from the fire. But he did promise to walk you with you through it. God, when he calls you into something, there's going to be fire involved. You're going to get burnt at times. You're going to feel the heat at times. God can take the heat out. God can remove the scorch. God can even remove the smell of the smoke off of your life. But just because God called you, it's not always going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. It's not always going to be cloud nine headed for ten. It's sometimes it will rain on your parade. You'll just get your vehicle washed and it will rain. What I'm saying is that if God calls you, even if he takes you through the fire, he will bring you through it because that's the God that we serve. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have 
called you by your name. You are mine. And then after he establishes this protocol of relationship, he then tells them what to expect. And I need every leader and anyone who's ambitious to do anything for God to catch this part in verse two. When you pass through, not if you do, but when you pass through the waters of COVID, Oh, did I say that? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Somebody could insert the word overwhelm you because I sensed in my spirit even today, there's a lot of people that just feel overwhelmed. You just don't know how to cope. You don't even know if you can breathe right. You just overwhelm. He said, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And then I love his assurance and his affirmation. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. In other words, I paid the, I, I made them pay for your deliverance. I, I made somebody else pay for your breakthrough. I made somebody else have uh, to pay the price so that you could have everything I just said by way of promise. Why? Because I called you and I have ordained for you to go where I'm leading you. I love this passage as we break it down. I highlighted it because this is how my notes look. He said, I formed you. I want you to understand if you scan history for your replica, you will not find it. There is no one like you. God Taylor made you. Look at you, boo. God made you. <laughs> no backup copies, no extra hard drives, no robot in stasis. Can I tell you, you are one of a kind. God created you. He formed you. I love what David said when he said, I have been fearfully and wonderfully made, and right are your works. You do good works, God. In other words, David David said, I know who I am. I'm not talking about being prideful or being arrogant, but having a knowledge that I know who I am. And not only do I know who I am, I know who my daddy is. And I have a king as a father. I have a God as a father who sits high and looks low, knows where I am in the every area of my life. He formed me. He picked me up out of a horrible pit. He fast me after his likeness and created me in his image. He formed me. I come to tell somebody today, you're not junk. You're not yesterday's trash. You're not a mistake. I don't care if your daddy or your mommy told you that you were a mistake. I don't care if your teacher told you you're going to end up just like everybody in your family. Everybody in your family may be a pervert. Everybody in your family may be messed up, addicted, strung out. But that don't mean you have to be because the blood of Jesus that we talked about tonight, nothing but the blood can cleanse me and bring me out. I'm going to preach to somebody who knows that God formed me. I may have come up the rough side of the mountain. I may have come up in a gangster environment. I may have come up in some dysfunction. But at the end of the day, now that I know who I am, now that I know my DNA, I know that he formed me. He created 
created me. And I just want to encourage somebody. Don't you let nobody talk down to you. Don't you let no one belittle who you are. Don't let anybody make fun of your disposition in life. Don't let anybody make fun of your skin color. Don't make anybody make fun of your language. Don't let anybody make fun of the way you present yourself. You are who you are by the grace of God. Somebody ought to stand and praise God and tell, take that devil. You tried to divide us. You tried to race bait us. You tried to get us to hate one another, but we ain't gonna hate one another. We know who we are. I'm a child of the king. Come on, punch somebody politely and tell them I'm a child of the king. I know who I am. And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Anywhere, he said, I purchased you out of your sin. I formed you. I redeemed you. Thirdly, I called you. When you're called, this is right back to the first thing I asked you to write down. When he calls you, he calls you to be peculiar. Now, I know we used to read that out of 1 Peter 2 and 9. We would say, you know, where you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In, light. in times past, we were not a people, but now we are a people. I love that passage of scripture. But the part that was to me as a teenager when I would read that, it said that you're peculiar. I thought, well, I know a lot of them folk. They said, I know a lot of folk in the church that are peculiar. But it's not an oddity. It's it's not about being odd. It's about being unique unto God, set apart unto God. I wish I had some sanctified saints in here that understand that old term of holiness and sanctification when you were set apart for God. People didn't have to wonder what you were. People didn't have to wonder who you were because your walk and your talk and your appearance, and I'm not talking about legalism. I'm just saying you can really tell when somebody has the Spirit of God in their life life, you can just look at him and say, there's one going. What am I saying? I mean that you understand because the Spirit bears witness. Oh, but we live, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. We live in a time now where you can't tell who's who. You don't know if they are male. You don't know if they are female. Come on, somebody. You don't know if they are pronoun the and they and the. You don't, they just told me on the news today that Matt, uh, Disney World has no longer will use the words Ladies and gentlemen, they no longer reference gender. My God, how stupid have we become that we can't even say, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what you are, stand in front of a mirror naked and you'll know. I called you. You are peculiar unto the Lord. You are distinguished from others. And then I will be with you. Well, when he said, I'll be with you, that's a direct revelation or reference to Daniel chapter 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, and God was with them. They did not see him. It was the king that saw him. I will be with you. I love this passage, Brother Greg, because he says, I have called you, redeemed you, I've formed you, and I will be with you. And I love this part because then he said, and even when you go through the waters and the rivers, you will not be overwhelmed by that. Yeah. 
How did I survive two years of what happened? What just happened? Come on, somebody know? I'm like, what? What happened? How did you survive it? Because he said, I have called you. I have formed you. I have redeemed you. I will be with you. I just want to praise God, Bethel Family Worship Center. Not only did he call me, form me, redeem me, and be with me, he kept me. He kept me. He kept me in my right mind. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. I don't know what's coming. I told you not long ago, look up. Jesus is soon to return. I don't know what's going to happen before the King of Kings comes, but I do know that the trump of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the air. The Lord is coming back for a kept people. He's not coming back just for 144,000 people. Oh, the Jehovah's Witness believe that only 144,000 are going and there's more than 144,000 of them. Let me just say, I mean, I wouldn't be part of something that I couldn't be included in. Can I I just tell you, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. We're a kept people. God kept you in your right mind. God kept you in your in your health. God kept you when the government was crazy. God kept you when the school system was crazy. God kept you when they told us we couldn't meet anymore. When they told us we had to do this and we had to do that. Oh, we all walked it out. We tiptoed it out and we tried to follow the rules. But all I know at the end of the day, two years later, he kept me. He kept me. He kept me on the straight and narrow. I got a new vision. I got a new attitude. I sharpened up my point of view. I got a new Stop singing them worldly songs. I have to hurry because I, I have 10, 10 reasons leaders get overwhelmed. This, I'm not even past my second. Are you ready? I'm going to try to hurry through this. Write it fast. 10 reasons we feel overwhelmed when we go through that. Number one, they feel alone. Loneliness is a breeding ground for anxiousness. When you're alone, sometimes you can become anxious. You can start feeling overwhelmed when you isolate yourself. You ever heard that saying that said, no man is an island? We need one another. You feel overwhelmed and get overwhelmed when you start feeling alone. Number two, insecurity overrides their willingness to ask for help. After all, they all expect me to have it together. And asking for help, wouldn't that be a sign of weakness? No. Not if you're in the right covenant family. Because if you're in covenant with the right people, they won't talk about you, they'll talk with you. Uh, I'm going to say that again. If you're in the right family, the right group of people, they won't talk about you, they'll talk with you. But the reason we don't, share is because we're insecure 
And we, get, we start feeling overwhelmed when we keep it all bottled in and we don't get the help we need and ask for help. Everybody say help. help. Here's the third thing is comparison. Oftentimes leaders cannot enjoy their success because they're so focused on the fact that other people are doing what they do. And they seem to be getting better results than me. So I start feeling overwhelmed because I'm comparing myself to people. God never called you to compare yourself to anybody. You do you. We need you. Everybody can't be Stephen Furtick. Everybody can't be T.D. Jakes. You be you. We don't need another copy. Stop comparing yourself to other people in the church. And maybe you're at a point in your life where now it's about the toys, the cars, the RVs, the four-wheelers, the side-by-sides. Come on, somebody. I've been wanting to get a Jeep for a long time. I'm kind of in that age, you know, where I'm, I'm going to get, my wife said I couldn't have a motorcycle. I said, well, if I can't have a motorcycle, I'm getting me a Jeep. Do what you want. You ain't getting no motorcycle. <laughs> what happens when you start comparing yourself to other people? Other people in ministry. I started before they, and look how far. You, on the, you got your eyes on the wrong thing. You be you. Because if you start comparing yourself, you can start feeling overwhelmed. You know, I love when we interview people or we hire somebody or we're looking for, to gainfully employ somebody I, I will be honest with you. I, would, I, I really hope that there's competence on the resume. But we all know a resume is just paper. What I really want to know is their character. I would actually prefer character even over competence. Because if their character's right, I don't have time to go there. Don't compare yourself to other people. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do now. Quit waiting for them to give you a position. Years ago, there was a, when we came to Bethel Family Worship Center, it was an existing church. When we came in 1999, they was without a pastor, had been without a pastor for several months. And the board at that time had taken authority and taken control of the church, and it became very, very difficult in the church. They all were trying to boss each other. And I had to inherit that and didn't even know what we were getting into. They were all bossing each other. And then they tried to boss me and do to me the same thing they did to the previous pastor. Thankfully, God kept me in my mind. Where was I going with that? So this one guy who used to be the Sunday school superintendent, that's where I was going, he really loved his position as the Sunday school superintendent, but he got mad at the previous pastor and he took his marbles and went home. So when a new pastor shows up, people come to spy out the liberty so they can bring back a report. <laughs> we all know people, don't we? And so this guy and his wife started coming again. 
And he wanted to just jump right back in where he was. The only thing was, at that time, we had Sunday school, we had morning worship, we had Sunday night service, we had Monday prayer, we had Wednesday night, and we were, I mean, we were there every, every night of the week almost. This guy came when he wanted to on a Sunday morning, he'd slip in, low profile, slip out the whole service, he'd be like this. So he came up. This after weeks went by, he come up to me and he said, I want to be the Sunday school superintendent. I said, well, where do you go to church on Sunday night? <laughs> well, I don't go. I said, well, we don't operate like that here. You got to be all in, my brother. We don't give you a position just to get you to come. You should already be coming. Then it'll make room for you. Well, he took his marbles and he went home again. Because some people want the position want the title, but not the towel. <laughs> Number four, the reason we can become overwhelmed is we neglect self-care. Because leaders care about the cause. We care about other people. The last thing on our priority list is us, if it's on the list at all. Self-care, I don't want you to look at that as being selfish. You have to take care of yourself. You have to take a mental break. You, and because, how I many know you would end up, you might go to jail if you, you might, you would hurt some folk. Because people can try you. Look down your row and don't say anything. Just look down your row. People can try you. You cannot neglect self-care. Now, Jesus went to the mountain to pray, didn't he? But here's the thing about Jesus, he came back. And here's the problem with America, the Americanized church in North America versus South America, Central America. They, they do church a lot different. They're there every night of the week. But what I'm saying is, and their services go four hours, five hours. We'd be ready after an hour. Pastor better hurry it up because I, I got to get to Ponderosa. What I'm, what I'm saying, we, we think different here. We, we think a little bit different. And so Jesus went to the mountain, but he came back. You can't stay on vacay forever. Every weekend is not a, Saturday is not, a, or Sunday is not a second Saturday. Set your priorities for you and your house. As for me and my house, we gonna serve the Lord and our family is gonna know. If you come by my house on Wednesday night and know that I go to church on Wednesday night, you might as well go ahead and get in the car with me or go on in and make yourself some pancakes and bacon. I'll be back after church because if you know where I'm gonna be, I mean... But we're in a different time now. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm saying Jesus didn't stay on that mountain. He came back to the work. And here's number five, the get in the box syndrome. Oftentimes we get in the box of who others want us to be rather than in the place where we thrive. And this is a big deal because you can either let the box be confine you or you can step on top of it and let it be your platform. You can let the box confine you or you can stand on the box and let it be your platform. You can't let people box you in. You need people to help guide you and direct you, 
but you've got to be careful about getting in the box that everybody wants you to get in. I only want you to preach this kind of message. We only want you to sing these kinds of songs. I was so glad when we sung Nothing But The Blood. That's an old hymn. We're just mixing it up. Aren't we up? We're just a mixed up bunch over here. Number six, avoiding difficult decisions. You can get overwhelmed if you don't deal with stuff directly. It's not that the leaders lack wisdom. Most leaders that I have met are incredibly smart people. It's sometimes, though, that we lack courage to do what's right, and we delay decisions because we don't like conflict. And when you don't deal with conflict, you invite chaos. We have said a long time in this house that bold spirits must be dealt with boldly. And there have been occasions we've had to be very bold. There's been occasions as a pastor I've had to be bold and members of the church got mad because that was their BFF for a ride or die. But they don't even know. They only know what their ride and die told them. But you got to deal with stuff. And eventually it shows its head. Number seven, we allow the outer circle to have inner access. You can become overwhelmed when you allow people who don't know you to define you. And if you do that, you will never escape the cycle of being overwhelmed. You're letting your outer circle into your inner access. I don't have time to stay here. I got to hurry. Number eight, trying to do too much too soon can overwhelm you. You know, we have a lot of great ideas. Leaders have a lot of great ideas. We all want to do something big for God. But when we don't prioritize those and we don't take step by step and in do them the correct way and we launch it prematurely and too soon, we drowned in the pool that we filled up. You got to be careful. I remember we were sitting on a council of youth directors in, uh, at a national meeting and this one uh, youth director for a state came in and he told everybody he was going to do this and he's going to do that. And I mean, he, I mean, I'm thinking, dude, you only got like seven churches in your district. I don't know how you're going to afford all that. That's what I was thinking. And I'd been down the road a few times and held events and camps and all those things. And I knew things aren't always peachy. You know, they, they're... There's some, there's some lean years as well. And I mean, he came in just like gangbusters, just rooting and tooting. He's going to just tell everybody how it's going to be. And so I thought, wow, and just arrogant and proud and just, you know, matter of fact. And six months went by and we saw him at the meeting. He walked in very humble and sat down at the table and somebody said, well, how did that go for you? He said, it didn't. You got to be careful that you don't drown in the pool that you filled too much too soon. Number nine, the inability to say no. Say this with me no is a complete sentence. But oftentimes we don't say no because we don't want to disappoint people. We overextend ourselves. Number 10, and by the way, while I'm teaching this, don't anybody look for an escape out of your volunteer place right now. I know how people think, well, pastor said, here's number 10, pressure, pressure, pressure and leadership hold hands. Write that down. Pressure and leadership hold hands. It's how, it, it's not even how you get rid of the pressure, 
but it's how you deal with it in a way that actually motivates you rather than overwhelms you. Pressure and leadership hold hands. As long as you're in leadership, and I'm telling you, if you're married, you're in leadership. If you have children, you're in leadership. If you work a job, you're in leadership. Pressure and leadership hold hands. You, it's not, you have to learn how to manage it. Let me give you my third point, and I, I will try to wrap this up in just a minute. There is more in store for your life and ministry. I'm tracking fast. Say this with me. There's more in store for your life and ministry or for you. There's a scripture that has long been in my arsenal of help and reminder and is found in Hosea chapter 10. I don't know if you've been reading Hosea this week, but the book of Hosea is just, I mean, it's like a soap opera. Literally, I mean, it's a man that goes and buys his wife back out of prostitution and forgives her. But Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, this is the word of the Lord. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. But here's what he says, and this is what I want you to know there's more in store for you. Break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Do you know what fallow ground is? Land that is uncultivated. You still have land that you've not cultivated. There is more in store for you. Land that you've not even cultivated. Let me speak, let me teach. Let me teach here. I see the wheels turning. God is not through with you. If God was done with you, he would have killed you. But the very fact that you are here today and that you have air in your lungs right now means he's not through with you. It is time to cultivate the land that is fallow. Fallow ground needs to be stirred up. The other morning, the Lord took me in my prayer time to Mark chapter 3. And I want to read this passage because I want to share several things from this passage that I believe will challenge you encourage, and encourage you before we leave here tonight. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 19, the Bible said, He went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed how many? Twelve, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Now, before we name these people that, that joined him, remember, he asked them to follow him. He handpicked these people. They had to make sacrifices. Some of them walked away from their daddy's fisherman business to join this up-and-coming ministry. What do you do when you've walked away from everything that you knew, and then three and a half years later, the guy that you were following says, I'm out here, I'm out. I mean, I left everything. Mm. Then he says to us their name, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, thank you, Lord, that is sons of thunder. I used to have that really in my vernacular. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, 
and Judas Iscariot, we know who he is, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. You need to read this passage of scripture this week and, and get it in your spirit, but let me give you several things. Number one, he called me to be in ministry because he wanted me on his team. The Bible said that he called Brother Tim, he called who he wanted. He wanted me to be on his team. Listen to that. I, I didn't choose him. He chose me. He called me, Jeff. He wanted me to be on his team. Now, I want you to understand, because he chose me, the thought that he chose me, that overwhelms me because there was nothing in me that was worthy for him to call me. It wasn't my greatness, it was his. And so he called whom he wanted to be on his team. Don't think less of yourself. I, God's given you great integrity, great character. You are loved and fought, favored and sought after of the Lord. And your gift makes room for you. You don't have to kick doors down. You don't have to politic and kiss babies. You just have to be you. He called me because he wanted me on his team. Come on now. Number two, the primary thing that teaches is that, that he called me and appointed me that I might be with him. The first scripture said that he appointed them as apostles is what he did to, so that they might be with him. The reason he called them was so that they would be with him. Vision and power directs the results of leaders who have spent personal time with the Lord, who have been with him. When you've been with God, you will come out with a vision. When you've been with God, you will come out with a purpose. When you've been with God, you won't have to sit around and, and wonder if God speaks. He will speak to you if you spend time with him. And you know you can get so busy doing the work of ministry that you feel, fail to spend time with the one who called you, who had gifted you, who anointed you, who empowered you to do that in the first place. He called me to be with him. Thirdly, in him I have direction to do what he wants and I have the authority to do it. Notice that he gave them specific directions to what to do. The result of being with him gave them clarity. When they were with him, that gave them clarity. He said, now this is what I want you to do. Uh, if you will spend time with me, he said, now I will tell you what to do. I'll give you directions, and I will not only give you directions, I'll give you the authority to do what I've called you to do. And I've come to tell you that God has never given you a vision to do something great, to, that he would not also give you the ability to exactly bring it to pass in the way that he said to do it. If God called you to do it, I want somebody to catch this. He will give you the vision. He will give you the provision. He will give you the authority. It will come to pass. He never gives you a vision when you've spent time with him that he wouldn't then give you direction. Number four, Jesus knew every stupid, foolish, selfish, and sinful decision I would ever make and yet he chose to call me anyway. You read over the list of men that Jesus chose to be apostles, you gotta keep in mind that every one of these men, every one of them abandoned him when he was arrested. Don't come up in here acting like you all that. 
Every hand-picked disciples Jesus called to be with him, he poured into them, he gave them vision, he gave them direction. Every one of them abandoned him when he was arrested. Denied him. He knew this when he chose them. He knew that and chose them anyway. You know that's not how we operate. You do me wrong one time, mm -mm, never again. Nep, mm -mm, not today. Mm -mm, I got you marked. You ain't never going to be in my circle no more. That's how people operate in the world today. God did not call us into ministry because we're good, because he's good. That's where he called us. He knew my mistakes. He knew I would make mistakes, and yet he chose me anyway. That ought to make us well up inside and realize that God loved us so much that he chose us. I have an overwhelming gratitude because I know that my calling is not based on my performance. If that was the case, I'd be in trouble. It's not based on that. It is, However, it is the result of the mercy of God that has been extended to my life time and time again. The Bible says that we have this ministry as we have received mercy. And so I'm saying to you that when God calls you, he called you in spite of you. He called you and he knew you'd mess up. He knew you'd stub your toe. He knew you'd make mistakes. And he called you anyway. Number five, God's not finished with me yet. And he's not through with you either. I was thinking about this passage because Mark 3 Verse 13 through 19 is only the beginning. Only the beginning because God had something great in store for these 12. Of course, Judas would bail and Matthias would come, but they had no idea what was being prepared for them when they answered the call of God. When God called me into ministry, I was 15. I've been raised in a pastor's home, been in ministry all my life. In fact, I didn't want to do ministry. My daddy was bivocational. He worked a factory, and he pastored a church. I saw people do stuff, crazy stuff to my mom and dad, who I know, and my mom and dad never shared ugly with me. My sister and I, we just, they didn't talk about people. They didn't talk about church folks. They kept it to themselves. And the things that we learned was just by watching. And I watched people be mean. I t this one lady in the church, she made up this big story that I had slapped my mother and that she had to run to the neighbors for help. Now, my mom, back in then, that day, was a bigger woman. You know, we say they, they big-boned. She, she is a big boned. She had big Pentecostal hairdo. Kept her hair real high. Then shouted down real low. You know what I'm talking about. And she didn't play. She had snatched you up in a minute, spanked the fire out of you. She did not play. <laughs> and they, this woman, I almost said her name. She, they, she made up this lie about that I had slapped my mother and my mom had to run out of the house. I'm like, that didn't even happen. And first of all, she ain't running from nobody. 
And so my sister and I had got wind of this and we were teenagers and we got mad, almost like this righteous indignation. You can go talk about my parents. That's my parents. You ain't gonna talk about my parents, your mama. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was saved. I wasn't quite sanctified. I wasn't quite sanctified. Let's take this outside. Here we're going to church with these people. It is crazy that you would go to church with people and want to fight somebody. That is so dumb. Catch you out. And so my sister and I played music for my parents when they passed her. So my sister played the Hammond organ or she played the keyboard and I played the drums. And we get the 90 miles an hour songs because you know in our church uh, altar service went an hour and a half, two hours. People shouting the same people coming up for prayer. Come on now, I'm just saying. We would shout and run the aisle. I mean, you know, we'd have tear down and it'd just be, it, and, and I thank God for that. It was glorious. But we didn't have the right spirit after we found out what she had said. When she'd come up and start shouting, I almost threw my drumstick at her. <laughs> and then there was some times that I'd be playing the piano and we'd be in those services and I'd be shooting dirty looks from the piano. Now tell me, tell me how anointed can you be to be shooting dirty looks from the pulpit? I'm a work in progress, that's right. I didn't know what God had prepared for me. I remember we had to go through that and I had to learn how to hold my tongue. I had to learn how to walk in my calling. When God called me at 15, I didn't want to be in ministry because I didn't want to put myself through what I had seen other people go through. Come on, can I just be so honest with you? Because I'm telling you, church folk, don't get mad at me. This is the mature crowd Wednesday night. Don't, they, people can be mean. Some sheep like to bite. And I learned, I, I had to learn how to love people through that. And there's not one person, depending how long you've been saved, I feel this being led by the Holy Spirit here. There's some people here who have had some deep church hurt. But God's not finished with you yet. So I was reading this passage, and these, these apostles, all 12 of them, had no idea that when they said yes to the call from the carpenter, that they would enter into a whole different arena in their life. Let me read this passage to you out of Revelation 21.9. Catch this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. 
Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I don't think they realized when they answered the call. Brother Jason, I don't think they realized that one day, Jonathan, one day they'd inscribe my name on the foundation. Hallelujah. What you are doing for God matters. Don't quit. Don't give up. If you need to go to the mountain, hurry back. Father, I thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you, God, for this this expository time of learning and growing and hearing the scriptures. Jesus, you have always had more in mind for us than we could ever see. You see the end product. You see the finish line. We only can see through a glass darkly here. But we need you to remind us that you called us. Some of you here tonight, you know you've been called of God. You have been called by God even though life happened to you. You have been called by God even though life happened to you. Disappointments. You lost your breath. It's like you were slammed on the ground and couldn't catch your breath. It was very painful. <laughs> Ooh, I sense healings coming to somebody right now. God has always had more in mind for you. You weren't wired for easy. He said, I called you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I will be with you. That's what he is. Don't let the river overwhelm you tonight. He said, you will not drown. Don't let the fire and the heat of what you've come through or you're going into now cause you to shrink back on God. I call for every lying tongue to be brought down. Shoo, glory to God. God, we're not asking you to kill folk. We're asking you to be merciful to them. Even those that have done us wrong, be merciful. Be merciful to them, God. call of God will call you into situations that may look impossible. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, I sense just a loving spirit in this moment. I sense the healing of God. You're carrying a wound in your life right now. God wants you to just surrender that to him. Be willing to do that. Be willing to give him the wound. Whew, glory to God. He loves you. He loves you so much. Give it to him.
He said, well, I, every once in a while, it keeps showing back up. Give it to him. Give it to him. He'll take the sting out of it. He'll take the venom out of it. You'll be able to sleep well. <laughs> so I just want us to be honest with the Lord. Just be honest with him. If you felt overwhelmed, you know you're called. There's some challenges that have tried to keep you. I know that's true. But God didn't call you to this place to drop you on your face. He wired you to be able to handle it. Answer the call of God. Say yes to him. What is the thing that you enjoy doing? What is the thing that breaks your heart for God? What is it that you do well? Could it be that God is calling you into an area that he will add his super to your natural? And then when you answer that call, he'll take you through the fire. He'll take you through the flood. You will make it in Jesus' name. The altars are open to anybody in the church. Those of you that are watching online, just find you a place to pray in your living room or your bedroom or in your car. Find a place to seek the face of God. He called them to him so that they might be with him. And then when they were with him, he planted vision in them and sent them out with direction. Thank you, Lord. I feel like I've delivered the word of the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. As they sing, let's worship, pray, whatever you want to do. If you need to go, understand that too. Just let's take some time here and do what we need to do in his presence. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 